And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, March the 20th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. On March 20, 1854, the Republican Party of the United States was founded. It was founded by slavery opponents at a schoolhouse in Ripon, Wisconsin, the party of Lincoln, and the party of me and a whole bunch of other people today because of the principles When the principles change, my allegiance would change. But for the time being, thank God for the guys that got organized in Ripon, Wisconsin in 1854 today. Today in 1760, a 10-hour fire erupted in Boston. It destroyed 349 buildings and 10 ships, but nobody lost their life. Today in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte, he returned to Paris after escaping his exile on Elba. That's that island they put him on out there. He he thought he could resume his career as it had been, and he started what we call, historians call the 100 days rule. Things didn't work out for Napoleon like he had hoped they would. Today in 1899, Martha Place, she lived in Brooklyn, New York. She became the first woman to be executed in an electric chair. She was put to death at Sing Sing because she murdered her stepdaughter. Today in 1939, President FDR nominated Washington's own William O. Douglas to the Supreme Court of the United States. Today in 1942, U.S. Army General Douglas MacArthur, having evacuated the Philippines at the order of FDR, who was then president, he told reporters in Australia, quote, I came out of Bataan and I shall return. That's been often quoted. Today, and he did. Today in 1976, kidnapped newspaper heiress Patricia Hearst. She was convicted of armed robbery for her part in a San Francisco bank holdup carried out by the Simeonese Liberation Army. Remember them? They were in the news a lot uh, during that time in the 70s. Hearst was sentenced to seven years in prison. She said she'd been kidnapped by them. A lot of people didn't really believe that. I was one of those. Um, But she was released after serving 22 months. She was pardoned in 2001 by President Bill Clinton. And today, in 1995, in Tokyo, 12 people were killed. More than 5,500 others were sickened when uh, packages containing the deadly chemical sarin were leaked on five separate subway trains. It was a cult. I think it was a religious cult, but a, a cult not related to Christianity, but some other Eastern religion. But anyway, they were cult members, and they thought they were doing the work of their gods or whatever. But it was a very, very difficult time. And, of course, it created a lot of confusion in uh, in Tokyo and elsewhere around the world as people heard about it. The Bible says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The psalmist, of course, is talking about the person who puts their trust, their life, their all in God. We live in times today when that that is very, very important. It always has been, of course, but today is a day of great, peril. And it is impacting every part of our society. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But first, let's get 
caught up on a couple of news items here. Tax filing deadline, April 15th, right? Nope. It's been pushed back. The uh, Trump administration put out an email or a text this morning or a tweet, I guess it was, it was several items. But Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin says, this came out about 45 minutes ago, says Trump administration has decided to push the income tax filing date to July 15th from April 15th. Now, I don't have a lot of details on this. It just came out a few minutes ago, and we're live on the program here, so I didn't couldn't take the time to drill into this, but apparently on its face, this applies to everybody. It says Mnuchin announced a decision uh, Friday, today, saying that at, at President Donald Trump's direction, we're moving tax day from April 15th to July 15th. All taxpayers, he says, and businesses will have this additional time to file and make payments without interest or penalties. The administration had announced uh, earlier this week that they might delay it, uh, the payments, uh, but Mnuchin said that that's going to leave $300 billion in the economy at a very critical time. So uh, apparently that's official, and it's out there this morning. So tax day moves from April 15 to July 15, no, no interest or no penalties. They're just changing it because of the conditions in our culture and in the world, really, but in our culture today. There's a new poll out this morning. Polls have consistently been showing that the American people do not agree with the press. The press keeps trying to put down the president at, at a very at a time when they ought not to be doing that, but they are, and in Hollywood and the entertainment industry and all those folks. But ABC is reporting, to their credit, maybe they maybe they slipped up, maybe they didn't mean to report this, I don't know. But anyway, they're reporting this morning that 55% of all Americans approve of how President Trump is handling the Chinese coronavirus crisis just in general. There was a poll out yesterday, and I believe I mentioned this on the program or else on the commentary that I do on the ACN stations and KTW. I think I mentioned it. there was a higher, much higher number, like 82% of Americans agree with the way he's been handling specific things, certain things. There were a couple of things mentioned in that poll, but this is a general poll, and 55% of all Americans, I mean, that's every party affiliation and so on, age group, young to old, and and so on, all adults, but 55% approve of how the president is handling the Chinese coronavirus crisis. The poll apparently was taken yesterday. It was published, as I said, this morning by ABC. 25% of Americans are saying, Rasmussen found this morning, 25% are are saying that they would like to postpone the November election to a later time. And I'm not sure who's driving that that idea. I mean, but I was thinking, I thought, well, is that the Democrats trying to, you know, buy more time so they can figure out what to do with Joe Biden? I don't know. But uh, in, in looking into it, I discovered in Rasmussen and their, their, information, second layer information. They said first, 25% of likely U.S. voters think the November election should be delayed if necessary, but 62% are opposed to that. But they said there's virtually no difference of opinion on that issue among Republicans, Democrats, or voters that are independent, not affiliated with any major party on the question. So I found that very interesting. That's quite a few people that are considering or would like to see the main election in November, 
um, postponed. And, but it's not a party thing. I mean, everybody, different people from different parties are, are in agreement among the 25% on that issue. There's an interesting report that's out there this morning, and it's, um, I don't know what it means, but I wanted to share it with you because it means something, and I think it means something good. It just just came out on the news wires and various places on the news uh, platforms on the Internet. The incidence of this COVID-19, this Chinese virus, and here's what it says. It's dramatically lower in malarial countries. That means countries that have malaria. It's much lower in those countries than it is in non-malarial countries. This is just one researcher, but he found this through data that exists and that is seen to be accurate. And it occurred to me, this may well vindicate, and I saw somebody else writing uh, some kind of an opinion on that just a few minutes ago, and I don't know what all was said, because, again, I didn't have time to go on the air live right now as we are, but this may well vindicate President Trump's decision to fast-track the use of this anti-malarial drug, this chloroquine, I think it is, phosphate or something like that, for the treatment of uh, coronavirus. He was telling them to go for that here about a week and a half ago, and people were really questioning him, saying, well, you're not a doctor, you don't know this stuff. But he said, no, my instincts are telling me we should go. He really was. And I'm sure conservative reporters will be reporting that today. But it occurred to me, when I read this, I thought, yeah, that's what he was saying here a couple of, about a week ago or so. And this Dr. Roy Spencer, he said he uploaded a whole bunch of information that is out there, and it's it's valid information. He said, this is amazing. He's a, a, a doctor. He has a doctorate in meteorology. He has a doctorate in a couple of other things. But anyway, he said, this is amazing. He said, I downloaded all the data for 234 countries, the incident of, of the total COVID-19 cases as of March 17, which would be, what, three days ago. And he said, that I... I put that versus the incident of malaria in those countries, and I found some very corresponding um, kinds of information. I don't know, you know, I don't want to speculate on that, except it caught my attention as being something that is pretty interesting, and I think it could be good. And again, it prompted me to think, man, Trump was telling him to fast track malaria, and they're looking at HIV um, medicines that have been used in the past, and and I mean. We really are, as a country and the leadership, we really are on this thing. That doesn't lessen it at the moment, but it gives some, some, you know, kind of, of encouragement because it's not good out there. I mean, it is, it just isn't. California Governor Gavin Newsom yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, I think it was, he ordered the state's 40 million residents to stay at home restricting non-essential movements to control the spread of the coronavirus. He said it threatens to overwhelm the state's medical system. And California is like a country all of its own. I mean, it's like if it were a country, it would be like the eighth or ninth most um, you know, economic, as far as economic, the most economically successful country in the world. I mean, it's it's amazing. And yet they say their state's medical system is about to be overwhelmed. So, the governor has, Newsom has shut it down, basically. He said, this is a moment, I'm quoting him, 
This is a moment we need to make tough decisions. We need to recognize reality. He said people may still uh, leave their homes for walks, exercise, or for essential needs, such as food and medical care. Restaurant meals can be delivered to homes, but otherwise he's basically shutting it down. He said this, this caught my attention. He said, I don't believe the people of California need to be told through law enforcement that it's appropriate just to home isolate. Stay home and isolate yourself. And he said, I don't believe the people, I think he was saying in that statement, we're going to do whatever we have to do to make you do this because it's in the best interest of all of us. Perilous times. He went on to say, and he said he, before the other day, he's a Democrat, dyed in the wool Democrat, as my grandmother would have said. Everything was dyed in the wool with Grandma. Um, she had strong opinions, and uh, it was dyed. But he's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, I think. But anyway, he said the other day, he said, the president's doing all the right things, in my opinion. And he said it again in this, uh, in this press conference. I noticed this morning in world news, I mean, there's a lot out there, but Austria has deployed their military to guard supermarkets. Boy, this is approaching a time when a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. It's amazing. Remember that song? Alan Jackson wrote it, country singer. Where were you when the world stopped turning? He wrote that not long after 9-11. 9-11 caught us off guard, I remember. Well, on the morning of 9-11, I know exactly where I was. I was sitting at my desk. It was early in the morning in my office. And I was going over some things related to what I was doing. And I heard a just a kind of a note on the... I had the radio on, and I was listening to it. And I heard a, somebody come on and said, a small plane is flowing into a building in New York, and it's a clear blue sky day. Uh, boy, we'll look into that. We'll get back to you with more, you know, blah, blah, blah. And pretty soon the truth began to get out. I mean, people began to realize what had really happened. I think most of us knew and know now where we were when we heard about 9-11. I want to talk to you about that. I think it's important that we know where we were when the world stopped turning, but it's also important that we have a proper perspective on that. The Rockefeller Organization put out a put out a, a, a scenario, I think that's what they call it, and they published it in 2010. Now, that, please understand, they're a liberal, progressive, far left, I would say, organization. The Rockefellers are far left. But I was talking, I was looking at the script of that just yesterday, and I was going over it, and I thought I wanted to make a few comments today about that. Bill Gates has talked about a pandemic for years. He and his wife, Melinda, have and are using their billions of dollars toward medicine and, you know, inoculations and shots and all that kind of thing. And he talks about that a lot. He's mentioned this, this Rockefeller Foundation study several times that I've heard, and I've looked into that. It's called the Scenario for Future Technology and International Development. Now, make no mistake, I'm not suggesting it's a spiritual, but it isn't. It's about what could happen, and here's how we'll respond in a secular way 
from with technology and international development. It's about globalism. I mean, bottom line, that's what it's about. Because these people believe in globalism. I don't know what Bill Gates believes, but I would assume he's a globalist. They all are. But in this scenario for future technology and international development, it says that there will be a scenario, they think, they're projecting, they're not prophesying, they're projecting this, they're secular. There will be a scenario where, I'm quoting from this report, 20% of the world's population will be infected. People's mobility will be blocked, airports will be closed, sports events will be canceled, shops closed, theaters closed, churches panicked, astounded, that's their word, churches astounded, I hope that's not the case now, but a pandemic, and I'm quoting from this report, a pandemic will produce shortages including disinfectant and personal items. (laughs) Toilet paper came to mind to me, everybody's buying toilet paper, I mean it's amazing. But it goes on to say, if people refuse the vaccine, they will not be allowed to travel. Political assemblies will be illegal. Public protests will be banned. Martial law will be introduced, and the new global control system will come into effect. People around the world will be open to sharing their security rights. And at that point, and there's much more, it's 53 pages long. But at that point, it's not a big leap from reading that kind of thing, which they see these these the money of the world, the influencers of the world in that respect, when they're putting, kind of constructing a scenario that could happen and preparing how they're going to respond to it, should it happen, and you read what their thinking was just in 2010, just within the last decade, it's not a big step from that to what is written in the book of Revelation. Globalist lead us to a single government, a single monetary system. When you read about the coming of the Antichrist, all of that seems to have a place. It fits in with what the Bible is predicting. And it will come to pass. I believe, at this time, I believe that God is raising up certain people to use in certain ways, not because of who they are or what they are, but simply they're they're, they're useful to the eternal purposes of God in the time in which we live. And I, I know I can be misunderstood. In fact, I'm being misunderstood. I mean, there is a real growing resistance against what I'm saying on this program. I'll be very honest with you. So when you write me notes and say, Gary, we're praying for you, man, that me- has meaning more and more all the time. There, there is not, I, I mean, there's more people listening to us now than ever before. There is more of a resistance now than ever before. And so I, I, I don't want to say more than that, and this isn't about me. But I will tell you, the message, when it's cutting on the edge and it's like turning on the light, so to speak, um, there's resistance. So thank you for your prayers. And let me add, thank you for your support, because we will go away if we don't have the support of the people who agree with us and believe that, this is worthwhile to support, so thank you so much. And we do I do need your help right now, I do. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Thank you. Be prayerful. Do what the Lord directs you to do, and I'm good with that. But we do need your help. And your, your contributions are tax-deductible. 
But I was thinking about where we are today from a from distant reports of a virus in Wuhan, China. Probably many of us, most of us, weren't even aware that Wuhan, China existed, although it's a city of several million. From that to no sports events, to schools closing, to restaurants closing, the thousands of flights being canceled, nations closing their borders, public gatherings prohibited, weddings postponed, massive crashes in the stock market. Never seen anything like it. Hundreds of millions of people are wondering how they're going to be able to pay their bills around the world, not just here in America. And on and on it goes. And it happened virtually overnight. Let me leave a couple of thoughts with you on that. First of all, nothing is guaranteed in this world. Not our next breath, not the future of a nation. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken right now. Oh, somebody will say, oh, Gary, well, that's happened before. It has. But scripture says, as we near the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. One day, we're thinking about what sports events to to watch or what program our kids are going to be doing at school or whatever we're going to go to. The next day, people are wondering how they're going to feed their family or how to care for the elderly who are sick. And they're dying all around us right now. Secondly, God can suddenly get the attention of the world. People who never thought of praying will start to pray. I remember when we were in the church in Los Angeles in North Hollywood, every time we'd have a major earthquake, the church would fill up. People would sometimes line up to get into church. And it was a big church, a huge church. It was amazing. They'd get over it and quit going to church eventually. But every time there was a major catastrophe, and there are a lot of earthquakes there, most of them are smaller, and I mean, they don't disrupt, but some were very disruptive during those years and will be and are now. But people would just flock to church. It was amazing. And I think the same event, although the churches are now closed in the effect of gathering there, but I think there's the same effect here. But God, God can get the attention of the world in a heartbeat. It's amazing how that works. Carnal concerns are quickly replaced by eternal issues. Life and death questions come to mind. Number three, it does not take much to change the international order. Rockefeller and all of those folks, with all due respect, they can set and they can create scenarios and they can say, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. But I will tell you that God... Almighty God who created all things and is over all things and is in control of all things can change the international order in a heartbeat. One nation rising, another nation collapsing. The balance of power can shift. Economic trends can be reversed. Everything can change in a heartbeat. And fourth, we can more easily envision the day when the world will have to choose between the true Christ and the Antichrist. We can see how that would work. Between God's order and the world's order. Between spirit and flesh. If the coronavirus could bring about such rapid change around the world, how much how much more could an even more serious crisis bring about? I think things will probably go back to some kind of a normal, but I don't think they'll ever go back to the normal that we have known in the past. I'm not saying it'll be worse. I'm just saying it will be different. But I do believe that we need to do some serious reflecting in the midst of this crisis and learn some serious lessons 
normal life will probably be a different normal. But God's people should be careful in our, our ways and how we look at things. I've, I've been watching Christians, some of my friends on social media, and I'm saying they're obsessed with things they don't need to be obsessed with. And I, I want to be kind, but please hear me. That's the day in which we live. And finally, let me leave you with this today. In August of 1527, a horrific bubonic or maybe pneumonic, but a plague struck Wittenberg, Germany. Scientists debate whether it was the Black Death or whatever caused the bubonic or the pneumonic plague, but one thing is certain. It killed more than 50 million people. 60% of Europe's population were lost in those plagues. When Christians turned to the most famous person in Wittenberg, Martin Luther, for spiritual guidance, he was well aware of what a plague was, and he knew what was coming. He gave his biblical counsel. I believe it's relevant today. He even talked about social distancing. I only have a couple of minutes left, but let me touch on this with you today. The Black Plague and all the plagues in Europe, they kept rolling across the continent from 1300s, the mid-1300s, to the upper 1600s. The plague that hit Germany was horrific. In just one day, an affected person could show signs of delirium, fever, speech disorders, and loss of consciousness. Soon after that, they would break out in boils. That would infect their bloodstream, and they would immediately die. That's what was going on in this context. But Martin Luther, in response to people asking, what should we do? Should we run? Should we flee? Should we try to remove ourselves? What should we do? He wrote a pamphlet, and it's titled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And it combines common sense and faith in a powerful way that I think is relevant to us today. And when you read through Luther's pamphlet, you'll find that he counseled his readers to utilize medicine and intelligence to guard and to take care quoting him, of the body so that you can live in good health. He said, I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. And he goes on, he said, "If my," but he said, I want to know, tell you this, if my neighbor needs me, in other words, if I need to minister to the neighbor, He said, I will go and minister to them at my own risk. As it turned out, Martin and his wife, Katharina, who was pregnant at the time, they stayed. But most of the Christians fled, and he encouraged them to do so. Only a few stayed behind at the seminary there. But he encouraged them to do so because he said, not everybody is called to do what I'm called to do. They could risk their lives to serve others because they were not afraid to die. Their hope was in the proper procedures and the medical treatments, but even more it was in Christ. They trusted the Lord to protect them in the life. And I think as we look at this, I'm not encouraging people to infect themselves, but be aware of the opportunities of ministry that exist today. Hey, I'll see you on Monday.